but eventually you come to a point where you realize like nobody really gives a crap what, what I'm doing here and you just do it for you and you and, and it, it can be empowering right because you realize I'm actually not doing this for anyone other than me and that's a I think a, a very powerful thing Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of How Do You Feel? This week on the podcast, I'm excited to share a conversation with you that I had with Matt Thatcher. Matt is a new friend of mine since the pandemic, and at the end of this episode, he pointed out that we've never actually met in person, which I think is the funniest phenomenon. Only in 2020 could you have people that you feel like are actual friends that you've never seen in person before. So hopefully that will change in 2021. I had Matt on the podcast to talk about a couple of different things. I think this conversation is a really nice balance between talking about mental health and some struggles that Matt has had with social anxiety and some really practical, fun tips for kettlebell training, which Matt specializes in. A little bit of mental health, a little bit of kettlebells. It makes for what I think is a great episode. Matt has been in the health and fitness industry for over 12 years, and he began doing that to put himself through university as he was pursuing a degree in psychology. He has lots of experience in many different sports. He's actually a black belt in karate. He's done MMA and jiu-jitsu at the amateur level, He played provincial level football, rugby, and soccer. He did CrossFit for a while. He did strongman competitions for a while. He's done a lot of different stuff. He's currently working as a personal trainer and the education specialist at Movadi in Guelph. And he's worked with quite a wide range of clients from former Olympic medalists, national level athletes in lots of different sports to everyday clients who are just looking to feel better, get stronger, manage pain and live their lives to the fullest. I love how Matt believes in this holistic approach to training. He talks a lot about it in this episode, so you'll hear it directly from him, but he feels like health and fitness should be inclusive and inviting to everyone because it really has the power to enhance everyone's lives. Matt and I know each other because Matt is another instructor for DTS Fitness Education. Along with Ben McDonald, he had the chance to put together the Kettlebell Coach Certification. And he's also an instructor on our virtual DTS Level 1 course. As I've said, I think this is a fantastic episode that you all are really going to enjoy. So without further ado, here is my chat with Matt Thatcher. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. It's so lovely to have you on the show today. Thanks for hopping on with me. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, Honored to be here. I've uh, listened to, uh, I can't say I've listened to every episode, but I've definitely listened to some and uh, definitely had some uh, great, great guests on. So uh, yeah, really, really grateful to have the opportunity to to speak and uh, share a conversation with you and a little bit of my story. And yeah, great. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I would be very impressed if you had listened to all of the episodes at this point. I think we're up to like 90 episodes. So that would have been quite an investment of time. <laughs> yeah, I would, have had, I would have had to go on a weekend bender for sure for that. <laughs> exactly. Matt, let's just start off talking about the role that fitness plays in your life. What function would you say that fitness in general kind of has in your personal life? Yeah, I think now... Uh, it's changed for sure. Uh, when I first started, it was definitely more about looks and, um, you know, working out to, to look good naked, basically, <laughs> you know, uh, that kind of thing. And it, it's definitely changed as I've gotten older and, and gone through uh, some some stuff in, in my life. Um, it's more grounding <clears throat> for me right now and, uh, you know, stress relief, resiliency, uh, it lets me quiet my mind and, and focus in my day, whether that's a five-minute movement thing or a more structured workout. Uh, definitely, we'll, we'll get into this more as well. But with kettlebells, it's definitely like a little moving meditation at times, whether it's animal flow or, or these different modalities. But <clears throat> it's definitely turned into more of a more of a meditative thing, uh, as I say, stress relief and, and resiliency and stuff like that. Yeah, I love that word that you're using of resiliency. Why does that word specifically come to mind with fitness? For me, it's taught me that a lot through going through, which we'll touch on, but getting in through anxiety and things like that. Um, fitness was a tool that really let me kind of start trusting myself, uh, believing myself, and just kind of giving me the, the confidence that I can handle the unknown and, and hardships. Uh, so that's, that's why I tend to really focus on resiliency. And I, I do that in many ways with breath work and do, you know, some crazier things like the cold immersion and stuff like that. But, uh, and it just gives me that, that kind of feeling of, Hey, if I can do this, you know, I can probably do, do anything else. Yeah. It's cool because it's almost like even before you realize that it's happening, when you face challenges in the gym, it does prove to you that you can face challenges elsewhere in your life as well. And, and that process of stepping up and saying, I know this is hard and I'm still going to do it, or I'm going to lean into an opportunity that I have. It really does change something about sort of the way that you're able to approach and look at other problems. And like I said, I think that that happens before people even explicitly realize the power of it. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I like that. You know, the challenge. Like, it's a. I competed in CrossFit for a while and stuff like this, and and I, I fell in love with. I mean, one CrossFit does great with the community around fitness, which I think is is important. But the challenge of it, right? Like, uh, I competed in regionals, but this was like back in you know fifteen years when no one knew what CrossFit was. There was like ten people, so it was super easy <laughs> to get into. It was like you saw one other dude working out in the gym, and you're like, oh, CrossFit, and you were best friends after that. <laughs> That, that actually happened in, in, in London for me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So it was a, that challenge of it too. Right. And, and it, for me, it was a competitive thing, but not necessarily with other people, just with myself and, and trying to better myself every time. So it, it took away some pressure of competing with others f for me, which was a, a part of my anxiety and let me just yeah, try to better myself. And uh, I'm, I'm going in there for, for no one else. Right. Like you eventually realize that nobody really cares what you're doing in the gym. <laughs> you know, when you first go in and you're so nervous about, uh, oh man, this guy's lifting 500 pounds and I'm, I'm lifting 20. And it, and that's a real thing. People are nervous about that. But eventually you come to a point where you realize like nobody really gives a crap what, what I'm doing here and you just do it for you. And you, and, and it, it can be empowering, right? Because you realize 
I'm actually not doing this for anyone other than me. And that's, a, I think, a, a very powerful thing. Absolutely. Yeah. You've alluded to it a couple of times now, and I have the impression that you are pretty open with in general. We haven't had the personal chance to chat about this, but you have talked about how you've faced and had this challenge of social anxiety in the past. I think the first thing that I want to ask you is just in general, like what does, what does that mean to you? What does social anxiety mean in your life? Because like we put labels on things, right? We love it. We, we have to label even how our mental health is. And I don't think that everyone's experience fits so clearly into labels and into boxes all of the time. So I'm interested just about how you would define social anxiety and your experience with it. Yeah, it's interesting, the labels, you know, um, I think they, they allow us just to speak about things contextually and, you know, at least have a, a, a baseline understanding of, hey, we're referring to this kind of thing, but then we all have our own individual variants from there, right? So I think for me, it, it really just boils down to um, a, a kind of fear of being judged, watched, criticized by other people. It's a random example, but it would be like, if I'm comfortable with doing something on my own and I feel good and competent at it and confident, and then I go to do it in front of somebody, it's like, whoa. And I, I'm sure we all you know, have, have uh, felt that in some way. Most people, it's like public speaking, which is, is one of mine <laughs> as well. But that's basically what it boils down to is just that fear of judgment from others. Yeah. And it's so incredible to like, to see you because you would never know it. It's like, I don't know if this was always the case, but you're leading courses, you're talking on camera for course content, you're on Zoom, leading breakout rooms, speaking to large groups of people, you're leading class every Saturday morning. Like you show up and do sort of these, these things that people traditionally think of as like, you know, the public speaking, the getting in front of groups, like the scariest things when we think about that fear of judgment and you step up and do them. How have you gotten to that place to be able to do that? It is interesting. I, um, whenever I share the story with clients or friends or people, they always say that, you know, like I'd never have any idea you would, you'd be that way. And I think for a long time in, in school and everything, uh, I would use humor as a way to kind of cover it up. And I mean, I, I'm naturally, well, I'm not naturally funny. I won't say that. But naturally, <laughs> I naturally like to laugh and have a good time. I'll say that. Um, whether people laugh at me or with me is up for debate, but, uh, yeah, and, and I think so. I used that in, especially in high school, kind of that class clown mentality. You know, I started really identifying it more in high school. Growing up, I think I always had it, but I wasn't maybe self-aware enough to kind of figure out what it was. Yeah. Uh, I always did well in school and stuff. And then, it, yeah, it was in high school where I just started avoiding class and uh, I'd finish assignments and not hand them in because I would just be worried about the, the judgment on them. Uh, I got kicked out of high school twice. I never finished high school. I went to university after a couple of years, but um, it, it was an interesting process to go through. Yeah. What is the power? I you, sorry, I know you asked me something, but I couldn't remember what the original question was. Now. No, I, I want to know what the what's the power of being able to identify it and in, in that growing awareness. So like, this is likely something that you struggled with when you were a kid and didn't know how to name it. Once you started to gain that awareness of, I can call it this, I can start to notice, how did that change things? 
at first it felt kind of overwhelming and like, oh my God, like I've got this disease or, and, and it was at a time when, you know, this was, geez, getting on 20 years ago, right? So I think it was at a time when social anxiety wasn't a well-known form of anxiety. It was kind of like a burgeoning thing and people were kind of talking about it, but even my first therapist didn't really uh, have a great understanding of it. So it, it actually at first felt a little, um, yeah, overwhelming and like, geez, like, what am I going to do about this? Not many people know about this. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know anyone who had it. It wasn't a well-known thing, but then it gave me something to work for when I found somebody, I tried a couple of therapists and it was a process. <laughs> like, you know, I think I was in therapy for uh, five years. It, it gave me something to work at and um, a, a process to go through. Yeah. Tell me about, tell me about the process of coping and what strategies you found throughout the years that, that helped you. A big thing I think I've learned over life and I'm sure a lot of us have is, you know, the similarities between things and experiences and, we don't all go through the same struggles, but a lot of the root causes and like processes to overcome those are, are fairly similar in some mm -hmm. regards. Like for me, it was plug for the habits coach, you know what I mean? But like similar steps in terms of just small things, you know, it started with literally like calling a random number. This is, there were still phone books. So this shows you, you know, how long ago this was, right? Calling a random number and saying, sorry, wrong number. And like quickly hanging up the phone and like sweating profusely. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and that for me was a big challenge to do. It seems like, you know, sometimes it can seem ridiculous. Even for me looking back, it's like, geez, that was crazy. But, and you know, that ties in with, I think, what is the most important step. And it's just always the next one. You know, it's always the journey. Like it, it ties in with fitness. It ties in with meditation with your career like improving as a person it's just it's always the next step and it doesn't have to be big right i think people think oh there's another step it's huge but it's just small i started there i started going to a store and asking somebody where something was on a shelf and like that i had no real interest in uh and handing in a resume to somewhere i didn't want to work in which made for some awkward phone calls after <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But it's just building, right? And it was always that next thing. That's kind of how I ended up getting the confidence to uh, go to university and apply for a real a real job that I wanted and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. It's uh, it's so much. Just like you're saying, it's so much like everything else that you're trying to improve at. It's so much like training, being able to take just that next step. If you think about that moment and that space that you were in when you were just working on making a phone call and saying sorry, wrong number, which seems like such a minuscule thing now. But if you were in that space and you had tried to lead a Saturday morning kettlebell class, for example, it never would have worked, right? So, you know, we, we devalue or don't understand the value of these small things. But when you're in that space, that is all you can do. That's all there is to do is say, this is where I am and I just need to take one more step. I think the more that we can do that and be okay with that, like you've said, in so many aspects of life, the better off that we'll be. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. I think it's, and you know, I'll, I'll try to try to do my best with clients to meet them where they're at. There has to be some action right? There always has to be action. I mean, not, you know, every day we all need rest days and like, you know, time away. But the problem is when we put something off for so long, it, 
just gets a, this bigger and bigger monster, right? And it becomes harder and harder to tackle. The task is the same, but we just build it up more and more. So I think really the, the, the key thing that, you know, I learned from that was, was just to try your best to take action, be compassionate to yourself. And it's, as I say here, some days you take a step back and relapse or whatever you want to call it. But um, I think the, the, the biggest thing is to just whatever the small step is, is just to do something because you build confidence and competence with yourself and you, you build that belief in yourself that, Hey, you know what, like whatever it is to you, it's big, right? So whatever that may be, if it's going for a five minute walk, great. Like, you know, we talk, you talk about it in the habit course, right? Put your shoes on, just step outside, go back in if that's where you're at, because nobody knows how big of an obstacle it is for you, right? From your perspective. So I think it's a, a important for, if you're in the health industry to appreciate that, you know, uh, it's an area where we're typically confident in and comfortable in. So to just yeah. put yourself in someone else's shoes, right? Yeah, exactly. Would you mind sharing with us what scenarios still bring you some challenges with that anxiety and what you do currently to cope with that. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, uh, you know, and if uh, it's this doing... podcast, it's okay. I understand. Yeah, no, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, well, you're you're very intimidating. You know? so, uh, no, it, yeah, but doing stuff like this, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like coming on a podcast, teaching a course, um, teaching Saturday kettlebell class. You know, uh, uh, I do like a education specialist role for my body. Uh, gym in, in Ontario for, for those who don't know, um, you know, teaching there as well. So any of those types of things still will, you know, have uh, induced anxiety for sure. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing, you know, now, as opposed to when I first started is what we kind of talked about before is those small steps. So I've kind of built the, the confidence and the practice. So some things like going for a walk, like I did before this podcast, doing some breath work, um, whether that be, you know, a more formal meditation or just focusing on the breath a little bit. The key with that stuff, I think, is doing it in a time when you don't need it, mm-hmm. <laughs> like doing it in a time when you're not stressed, because if you don't have the, it's like anything, if you don't have the skills in place, it's going to be really hard to call upon it when you're stressed out and you go, oh man, this meditation this, uh, this doesn't work for me. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think it's that it's very important to treat it like a practice, like a skill so that when you need it, you have it. And, you know, you wouldn't go like your, your husband plays soccer, right? It's like if he didn't practice soccer and he just went out on game day, you'd like, you know, probably get kicked off the team pretty quick. Right. <laughs> so it's like, it's that same, I think it's the same idea that I try to get people um, just to have that mindset about that kind of stuff with the breath work, walking meditation, I think are three big things that, uh, can really manage stress. Nice. When I think about um, the pandemic, something that comes up a lot is just thinking about people's mental health and thinking about how it's posed such different challenges than sort of our normal life. Final question on this before we move on to talk about some, uh, some kettlebell stuff. If you look back on 2020, if you look back on COVID, do you think that the pandemic has affected your relationship with your anxiety in every way, in any way, like all of a sudden you don't see people in the same way as much, like, has that made a difference? What do you think? I think for me personally, like <clears throat> I tend to be more uh, introverted. I, you know, actually like I like time on my own, I'm 
play guitar, a bunch of fantasy, uh, favorite fantasy characters behind me. I love to read. And that's another strategy is like from Todd Herman's book and the alter ego, right? Is uh, I have these pictures of some of my favorite characters, but that I kind of think like, uh, what would this person do? Or these people who I think are strong or uh, honest and, and that type of uh, have integrity and that kind of thing. So that's just a, that uh, alter ego books, another one that, that kind of, kind of helps. Um, but yeah, I think um, in terms of the pandemic, nah, the only thing I think it's challenged and it's not so much my anxiety, but kind of indirectly is just, I've had to have a little more structure in my days. Uh, Cause it's easy. I think for me being an only child and an introvert to just like sit and read all day or play guitar or play video games or something like that. So I've really had to I think uh, I've always mispronounced his name, but near all the indistractable guy. Like I just, I, I've used this strategy of just time blocking my schedule. I'm tend to be a little bit more type type B. Like I'm not super uh, like, you know, like you with your spreadsheets and everything to be, I'm like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> How do I do this? Uh, but so I'm, I tend to like, like a little less structure, but just having the time blocks of, Hey, I'm going to work on this project for this amount of time without having it all laid out still allows me some creative freedom and my mind to wander with that a bit. And then I also schedule in free time. So I found that really helpful just to have that kind of structure going for throughout the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That's a great perspective because I do speak to time management and time blocking a decent amount, but um, I am type A. So for me, it's, it's quite detailed and it's quite structured and I've got all my things, but I think it's just so important to hear from someone that's like, you know what? I like a little more free flow in my schedule, but here's the amount of structure that still keeps me focused and streamlined. So I, I think that's an important piece as well. Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about some kettlebell stuff. You love working with kettlebells. Why do you like kettlebells so much? What is it about the kettlebells? Yeah. You know, it, as I kind of alluded to earlier, touched on earlier, it, it's just a tool that I find can be very meditative. You know, I like getting into flows with them and it, it lets me, once you've got the, you know, look, it takes some time, years to, to get the techniques kind of mastered. I still, I've been doing it for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, 25 years. And uh, I still don't have, you know, the technique, which is also something I like about it. Like it's, it mm -hmm. allows for, for the process of mastery. It's not, we're never going to get there, but it's just like, it allows you to keep tweaking things to, to keep bringing it back to sense. You get feedback from your hands, from your forearm, from your feet into the floor. So it's very centering for me and focusing. Um, and at the same time, relaxing. So it's kind of that flow state, right? Where it's, it's that relaxed attention, not, uh, you don't have to be super hyped up and it, it allows for tons of variety. Like, especially I think people, you know, kettlebells, like go try to buy a kettlebell online right now. <laughs> it's like, I have clients like, yo, you go to secret source for kettlebells. I'm like, no, I don't have a forge in my basement where I'm making them. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I think it take up very little space, relatively cost efficient. And I know you, you like them too. So I could turn this question back on you and say, what do you like about them? But it's just such a nice tool. You can do grind movements with it, the shape of it. You can do ballistic movements with it that a dumbbell doesn't really allow. It, yeah. It's easy for people to work around certain injuries or movement limitations and still get a great workout. Like it's offset. So you get a little bit more feedback going overhead or you can use it in these just cool, cool ways, you know? I think I'm in total agreement with you about why kettlebells rock so much. I think the versatility is an incredible aspect 
especially in the pandemic, actually the frequency that I've been doing kettlebell training went up a lot because I have a couple bells at home and it's easy to work with kettlebells at home. So I think that's been a piece for me as well, but I love how you put it about how the fact that it is so technique heavy means that there will always be a process to improve. There's always a way to improve the timing of your movement or improve your explosiveness in a certain piece. Like there are so many layers to it, which, which I love. And you know that cause you've helped me a little bit, but you know that I've been working on getting my snatch technique down and that's cool. Like, I love that there's something where like, I haven't ever perfected that before. So it's this whole process and thing to now dive into. And sometimes as a trainer, training if you train the same way for years and years and years and years you can kind of feel like i've got this like there are always things of course to improve but like at some point like you know how to barbell back squat like it's exciting to have this this different exercise that you can sort of um, dive into the technique of and and improve on so i find that to be uh to be a very fun piece one of the things that stands out to me about kettlebells is this, this timing component and how crucial it is for most kettlebell moves. Can you speak to that a little bit about why timing is so important when you're doing kettlebell training? Yeah. I mean, um, you have to get up very early to do your kettlebell training. That's <laughs> the timing. You know, that's what I mean. Stupid jokes. <laughs> so the, the timing with the kettlebell, I think it's really important based on the movement you're doing in terms of projection of force. Um, so where do you want to direct the force? Yeah. So in kettlebells, we'll often talk about the hips or predominantly, but the lower body is kind of the engine and the arms are the steering wheel. It's kind of an analogy I like to use. So the power is coming from the legs, but the finesse or control or direction is coming from the arms. Typically in a swing, we use the arms to put a brake on the bell in the clean. We keep the elbow tight to control the arc of the bell. So it doesn't pound down on you in the snatch. Same idea. We want to keep the bell tight. And as we go from swing to clean to snatch, we want the arms or that steering wheel to direct the bell in a more vertical path. It's more efficient that way. And, and more effective and safer. I always use the analogy of you can jump a lot further in a long jump than you can high without raising your, your bending your knees. <laughs> so, and that's because we're, we're dealing with gravity less. So I like to think about horizontal energy as cheaper energy and vertical energy as more expensive. Mm. So we, we kind of use the hips to create a little cheaper energy. And then we kind of cheat that with the arms and transfer it into vertical force. And that's kind of how I like to think about like a, a snatch or, or kettlebell movements, the barbells, you know, very same, right. With a barbell clean and, and snatch and stuff. So, yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Super interesting. Thinking about the efficiency of the movement is a huge piece. And if you're not transferring the force properly from your lower body and the bell's not in a place where it can actually receive that force in the right direction, you're not going to be efficient with your movement. Right. So, yeah, you're going to, and, and, you know, injury, especially in a snatch, right. If you go through horizontal movement more, you, you know, the bell comes up in a big arc and it takes your arm back and like the posterior shoulder caps or the, the back of the shoulders is not, it's not going to really love that over time. It's yeah. going to be harder on the grip. 
your forearms are going to, a lot of people say, man, my forearms get super tired on the snatch. It's because they're over pulling the bell. It's because they're going too far away from them or they're getting the elbow up too high and too far away. So it ends up you're using energy where just where you don't need to use it. If you want to kill your forearms, I mean, by all means, go for it. I'd rather do it through a farmer carry or something, but you know, that's just me. <laughs> yeah. What would you say are the top like couple mistakes that you see people make when it comes to kettlebell training in general? Uh, definitely not using the hips enough. I'm not, you know, uh, no celebrity trainers need to be named, but, um, you know, there's like, uh, uh the squat swing, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. not keeping the arms high enough in the backswing in terms of tight enough to the groin and letting the arm drift down. Um, I, I used to be a huge proponent of, the swing is a swing, the snatch is a swing, the clean is a swing, everything's a swing. I've kind of like changed my stance on that a little bit. And I think for the clean and the snatch, certainly that there should be a slight difference in the knee bend that you have from a swing. Again, that, that gets down to like a little bit more technical down the road. I think, you know, as a, as a beginner, it's um, just having a good setup like everything, <laughs> you know, I think if you listen to any top trainer, talk about any exercise, I know, uh, fudge was on here and he always talks about setup and, yeah. um, any high level at anything setup. like if something goes wrong, probably look at the setup and 99% of the time it's right. It's like, if something goes wrong with your computer, restart it, you know, it's like, it, it fixes a lot of stuff. Uh, and then it's, and then it's just in the, in the clean, I would say, if I just pick maybe one from each of the three big movements would be, um, the bell, coming higher than you're going to receive it. So higher than the rack position, there's no, absolutely no need for the kettlebell to float any higher than mm. where you're going to catch the bell. Right. Cause what does it do? It's going to slam down on you. And what's the big thing people complain about, especially when they're new is shit. My forearms are like getting smoked. Yeah. Now there is some adaptation that has to happen to the tissue, right? Like you've got a hard metal object that's coming down on your arm. Like, it's, you know, it's going to feel a little uncomfortable in the snatch. Uh, it's, it's not getting vertical enough with it. It's letting the elbow get too far away from the body and going through too big of an arc. So I think if, if I looked at those three movements right there, that tend to be kind of the, the, the big ones people like to do in the getup, it's just people trying to rush through it and not practicing step-by-step step first. Yeah. Really breaking down each piece. Okay. Let's recap those because those were all awesome in the swing. Most common things that you see are people squatting instead of hinging, not actually using their hips. So we'll see a lot more knee bend. And you also mentioned not high enough on the back swing, right? Yep. Yep. Correct. Exactly. Then on the clean, it's pulling the bell too high is the big thing. So it's, it's coming up way too high, flipping around whacking you on the forearm. And then people are getting these like lovely bruises on their forearms. And 100%. then with the snatch, it's mostly that your, your force is not vertical enough, which is what yours truly is working on currently. <laughs> For sure. And honestly, yeah. up until a couple of years ago, I used to snatch more with a, like a high pull to a punch up. And, um, it changed just as doing some research and playing around with some techniques. And I wanted to get heavier in my snatch and I felt I, my grip like was, was really holding me back and my hands were getting beat up. I'm, I'm like, man, you know, I'm reasonably strong. Like, I, I don't know what the deal is. So I was looking into things and I started playing around with this more low pull style or the fixed elbow snatch. And it made a world of a difference for me. Yeah, for sure. 
Sometime I'll post a video on, uh, on hand care as well. Cause that's a, I think a big piece with kettlebells is the, the calluses. Like today I did a snatch workout and, uh, soak my hands in hot water for about five minutes first and actually get some sandpaper <laughs> and smooth out the, uh, the calluses so that your hands don't. Yeah. Cause you don't want to get like, uh, you know, if you rip a callus, it's, your hands are kind of out of commission for a good week. Right. And it's pretty painful Yeah, and you can, you can grunt through it, but it typically just gets worse. Your technique gets kind of shittier as you go. So it's just a whole bunch of that stuff downstream. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a hot tip. Fascinating. I've never even thought about that. I kind of just like they break, they break, they rip, they rip, but that's pretty cool. So you soak your hands in hot water for five minutes, take yep. some sandpaper and sand them down so that, so that they're like, nice and smooth, ready to work for you. hundred percent. Like you still have the skin developed there, right? So it's still yeah. like hard. It's not like, you know, you're just fresh out of the womb and it's like super gonna, not going to hold up, but yeah. So you kind of want to go like on your, your main, I don't know, your, the base of your, your um, fingers and then kind of each level up on all those callus points between the knuckles and then across the, where you get the biggest calluses. Fascinating. Love that. Do you have calluses on the like knuckles that are farthest away from your from your hand yeah like all yeah. of the spots yeah just little ones i mean you probably can't really see that well but you can see this when i sand it down there a bit yeah interesting it's just from like man i just use kettlebells a lot right so you just develop them slowly over time <laughs> yeah yeah cool Okay, Matt, a hypothetical question for you because i know that you have a pretty sweet home gym but <laughs> If you could only put three kettlebells in your home gym, three total, what weights are you picking and why? For me, they'd all be like uh, you know, on the heavier end just because it's, it's the adaptation and, and the practice, right? But I, think I wanna know, general, yeah, I wanna know for you, what are your for me, three Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, something like really heavy for two hand swings. So looking at uh, some, this is a big range, but if you want to go really heavy on a two hand swing, it'd be like somewhere 48 to 80 kg. That takes a lot of time to work up on hundred percent, but I like the feeling of a heavy, heavy swing. There's something like just grabbing a heavy bell and doing like a every minute on the minute with it, even if it's five reps and trying to get it up to neck face height on every rep is like, it's tough. Every time I jump up a bell, it's, it's always like, you know, you're wobbling around the grips going, the upper back's trying to get pulled forward. The abs are going, what the heck, uh, hip drive. Like, so there's something about a really heavy bell for two hand swings. And then for me, it always changes in, in the snatches. I just ordered a, a 40 kg online for, for snatches. So I have little volume brackets that I try to go through every time I'm going to uh, level up in my snatches. I just got my, I just got the 40. So that would be kind of my snatch clean and press practice weight there. And then, um, I'd probably say something like, uh, if, if I had to pick a last bell, like a green, a 24 kg, uh, would be just something that I can, you know, practice bottom up work with use for warm ups, practice uh, technique with, and, you know, just do some relatively light get-ups and things like that. Um, so that would be for me personally. <laughs> nice. I feel like just cut all of those in half exactly. And that's where I would be. <laughs> I, I mean, that seems fair that like I had originally like thought about, okay, male versus female type of thing. And where would I go generally speaking? And they're, they're about half. So that, that seems yeah. great. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. I like to hear your thought process behind that. So that was fun. Thank you. Okay. Um, to kind of wrap things up a little bit, 
I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about sort of your, if you have a personal mission or a personal vision or purpose that you sort of do things by, if you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting, you know, when, when you think about the purpose and mission statements, it's evolved over time. You know, as I said, when I first started working out, it was like, everyone's going to be an elite athlete. <laughs> like I don't train like an athlete. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's changed, obviously, as I get older and uh, smart enough of it. And I think it's, it's similar, you know, to the DTS of, of pain-free living. Um, it's more about bringing inclusivity through fitness. Uh, I think fitness can be very empowering. And you can really learn a lot about yourself through it and learn, a, like we, we talked about earlier, learn a lot of skills mm -hmm. that you can apply to so many areas of your life to better yourself. So really it kind of boils down to, I want to share and empower people to understand that, that fitness can be a tool to enrich and expand your life and not something that has to be all encompassing and take away from it. And I think if I was going to boil it down to kind of one sentence, it would be that. Obviously we can expand on that, but that's kind of the key, the, the message that I want to give to people, my clients, anybody that is, it's just a tool that if used well, like any tool, um, you, you can really empower yourself with it and it can create opportunity in your life and it doesn't have to take away from it. I think one of the big things in the fitness industry is, is this all or nothing in life, right? All or nothing mentality, you know, alternate day fasting and fasting for 70. And, and those are, those have their places, but I think people sometimes use them for the wrong reasons. It's a, almost like a punishment thing. Like I mm. ate a, a donut on the weekend. Now I'm not going to eat anything for two days or I'm going to, you know, work out for three hours tomorrow. And it just creates a, such negative association with health and fitness. And like, it, it, I mean, at my point of view, it should be the exact opposite of that. Like if you want to have a donut, like I just made a pizza on the weekend, like, you know, like, it's not a big deal. Like you enjoy, fitness and health should make you be able to enjoy those things in life without guilt. It, we have guilt, we have shame, and then you repeat the behaviors. <laughs> like, you know, it's a, the stress kind of hijacks our amygdala, right? And makes us uh, unable to change and repeat the same thing. So when we create these negative associations around stuff, it more often than not has the opposite impact that you're intending it to have. Yeah. Awesome. I couldn't agree more. I think fitness is meant to make deposits into our physical and mental health bank accounts, if you will, not meant to withdraw from. And, you know, I've had experiences in the past as well, where I very much used it more as punishment and used it as like trying, like, because I thought X, Y, and Z about myself weren't good enough. So trying to use it in a way that would make me good enough, it just, and it just left me worse off in the end. And I think, I think a lot of people have that experience with fitness when they first get into it. And so when we can make this shift into is fitness and what you are doing actually enhancing your life. And if you can say yes, like you're doing it right. You know, there's no, there's no, there should be no other standard, but we also just tend to impose such other, these other arbitrary standards onto things when it's not necessary. doesn't make sense. 100% agree <laughs> for sure. Um, you and Ben worked together on the DTS kettlebell course. Could you share with people a little bit about that course and just what they could expect 
from it if they decided to purchase it? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you can expect, uh, good jokes from me and bad ones from them. <laughs> uh, no. Um, no, it's, it's honestly like a good time. I think, uh, you know, one thing Ben and I share is a sense of humor and wanting to make learning fun for everybody. Um, like I just touched on, you know, stress effect on the brain. So we've done lots of studies on if you're in a good mood and you're having fun, you retain information better, you engage more, you integrate more, uh, which are super important parts of, of learning, right? And I think life in general, but uh, so yeah, I think it, you know, it's a, it's a fun learning environment. It's an engaging learning environment. It's interactive. I actually, asked to work for DTS. I didn't hear back from them for like a year. And then Kevin approached me one time and uh, this was, I don't know, four or five years ago and uh, asked me to. So it was a company I went to a course on and I think you had the same experience, right? So, and then I thought, geez, I'd really like to get involved with these guys. So that's literally, I wanted to work for the company because of how good of an experience I had. So it's just, we cover off in terms of technical stuff like we talked about today, right? Well, we break down as, as Ben likes to say, you know, skills to, or drills to improve the skills. So we break down, specific, actionable, practical things that you can do right away, like as soon as you go. And there, a lot of them are very much um, like kind of, you know, foolproof things like hold something under the person. And if they hit it with the kettlebell, your bell's too low. <laughs> you know? So it's just very like quick, actionable things that just make sense and work extremely well. They don't take a lot of explanation. You know, I've gone to courses and the guy's super smart and knows a ton of information, but you're like, what? I mean, that's cool theoretically, but what do I do with it? How do I put it into practice? Like, I, I mean, all the stuff you said's awesome and sounds really great, but I don't know what the heck to do with it now. So it's all very actionable things. We break down each movement, swing, clean, snatch, get up, squat. And, and as I say, give you very specific things about, Hey, if you see this, try this. And it's very much like if it doesn't work, great. Here's a couple other things you can try, right? It's a, everyone's going to be different what they respond to. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic course. Okay. If people want to learn more about you, get in touch with you, maybe get some coaching from you, how would they go about doing that? Basically I'm mostly active on, um, Instagram. I always have, uh, I love hate relationship with social media, right? Like I like it and I like sharing it, but uh, sometimes it always feels like, oh man, you know. Uh, so Instagram, um, Facebook as well. I, I'm in the process of getting a, a website up, which is going to be like level up fitness, just kind of tying into my nerdy side, level up health and fitness will, will be that. So in the process of that. And, but anyway, for now, Instagram is great. And I'll certainly post on there when, uh, when I get some stuff put together. Sweet. So exciting. Uh, Matt Thatch Fitness this is my Instagram handle. I should maybe throw that up there. But yeah. I'll link it. I'll link it in the show notes as well so people can find it. Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much. Thanks for your openness. Thanks for your jokes. Some were better than others, but <laughs> it was quite fun. Awesome. Thanks very much. I uh, yeah had a blast. You're uh, great at what you do. So again, I uh, really appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to come on here. And uh, it was awesome. And uh, look forward to when we can uh, see, I guess we haven't even met in person yet. So meet in person. <laughs> that is a weird thing, isn't it? That's, that's know, such yeah. a funny pandemic phenomenon, or I feel like I have so many friends that I've never actually met in person. Hilarious. All right, Matt. Thanks so much. Thanks, Casey. Thanks so much for listening to How Do You Feel? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, 
Please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews really do go a long way. I appreciate them all so much. Better yet, share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think would benefit from the messages that we talk about on How Do You Feel? All right, guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great week. And as always, remember, get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.